Riaz Surti, founder of Hearthy Foods, started his business because of his mother's health issues with diabetes and high blood pressure. Her doctor recommended she eliminate wheat from her diet and Hearthy Foods was born. Today, we make flours out of pure fruits, nuts, and vegetables that you can use to replace traditional wheat flour. We also offer top-of-the-line wellness products such as grass-fed collagen and colostrum that only use the highest quality ingredients. They are gluten-free and kosher halal. Visit HearthyFoods.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Andrea Donsky, founder of NaturallySavvy.com and co-host of our Naturally Savvy podcast. And I am Lisa Davis, MPH health educator, co-host of Naturally Savvy and author of the book, Clean Eating Dirty Sex Memoir Cookbook, Healthy Lifestyle Guide. At Naturally Savvy, we are here to help you make healthier lifestyle choices. So we are so honored that you are tuning in to listen to our podcast on a weekly basis. And we are here to engage you, have fun and help you live your healthiest lifestyle. Now on to the show. Naturally Savvy Podcast is sponsored by Morphous for Menopause. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. My wonderful co-host, Andrea, is away today. I love a good journal. I like a journal that gives me cues. I like a journal that lets me draw. I like a journal that really lets me get into what I need to get into. So I am super excited to have the wonderful Michaela Renee Johnson on the program. She is an award-winning, best-selling author, licensed psychotherapist, and host of the top iTunes podcast, Be You, Find Happy. And I am thrilled to have her on. We're going to be talking about her wonderful journal, Empowered, a motivational journal for women. Hello there, Michaela. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's super great to have you on. You know, I was listening to your story. I know that you wrote another book, right? Teetering on Disaster. And tell us a little bit about that. Is that a memoir? It is, yes. And it was actually first published work and an award-winning book. Uh, it was it won the San Diego Book Awards. It was a really exciting time in my life because it was kind of like my online journal is how it actually started. And it was like a therapeutic healing process. And I was posting these blog posts every week. And it was gaining this really big following and people said this should be a book. And so at some point, uh, the breaks was put were put on the blog and it became an actual published story. And it did really well. It was about growing up in a 27 foot fifth wheel in this uh, rural Sierra Nevadas with no running water and no electricity. And it's it was a really exciting um project for me because I really needed it. So it came at a good time for me to kind of reflect on my roots and kind of taking me back to where I had grown up and what I had learned from mom and dad from the upbringing that I had. And so it was a really great healing process. And I think it helped a lot of others heal too. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. First of all, I have to read that because I love (laughs) memoirs. Love, love, love memoirs. When I listened to an interview and I read, I learned about teetering on disaster. I liked that there was a, some people made assumptions, right? That because of the way you grew up without running water, then everything must have been a mess. And you were saying that your mom was actually quite meticulous. Oh, very much so. Um, as a matter of fact, we often tell her she missed her calling as an interior designer. So it was really spectacular how she took, you know, this tiny, little space and really made it into something that was very homey and um, cozy and livable and nice, um, considering no electricity, no running water, all of these kind of adversities that we had, she made it really, really nice. And she, she kind of always told me that there is a thing called pride of ownership, and it doesn't matter where in the bucket you're, you're settling 
you can still create a really nice space and still have that pride of ownership. And so that's kind of what I grew up with um, as far as mentality is, you know, no matter what you're working with, make it, make it your own, make it nice and have a little pride about it. So it was, it was a really kind of cool life lesson. And I've taken it, you know, with me as I've continued on in life, my very first apartment was a government subsidized apartment when I was going to college. And it didn't mean that it had to be a slum, a slum house, you know, and I, and I jazzed it up and made it nice with what I could, you know, afford and, and get from the goodwill or get from Ikea or whatnot. And, and so those, those kind of lessons that I learn in life at a young age really stuck with me. What made you want to be a psychotherapist? <laughs> so I, I had a blossoming marketing career. Um, and my undergraduate is actually a, a bachelor's in journalism communication. Um, and I'd really felt like I just was kind of tapped out on that career. But it all fell into place that I was going through a difficult time. I was doing the blog and had all this marketing experience. So it was doing well. And uh, and somebody said, you should write a book right about the same time that my business, that the company that I was working for got bought out by a much bigger bigger company. And uh, I was actually offered a nice sabbatical, like a nice um, severance package. And so I was at the time single and with no children and other people that were on my team um, really needed the job. And I said to my boss, I'll take, I'll take the buyout. And right then, right then I switched gears in life and started working on um, my book. And I was actually going to a psychotherapist on my own and I would show up to her office and she sat in this cozy armchair with no shoes on and she had a little blanket over her lap. And I thought, that's the job I should be doing. That's the job. And at the time I had been traveling about a hundred air, a hundred thousand air miles a year. So just very go, go, go and very busy. And, um, shortly after teetering was published, I signed up for grad school and went, went back and became a psychotherapist. And it's funny how literally everything in life becomes this kind of building block to the foundation of what is going to be your beautiful home, you know, that you eventually create. And so I look back on these things and I, and I, and I look at them and I go, wow, if you had told me then that I would have done all these things and been here, I wouldn't have believed it. You also said every one of my screw ups is really what led me to now. Uh, you also talked about failure and you talked to us about how you see it. Tell us how you see it. You know, I, I, it's interesting because I just really don't feel like you have success without failure. And I really feel like it, it, it's kind of become this taboo thing of like, I can't start because I'm afraid to fail. Or if I don't do this well, then it's a failure. And, and really, it shouldn't be looked at that way. It should be looked at as rather this experience that leads you to the very next thing. It, it It's part, all of your failures become a part of your success. And when we go into things, I think we think that this is the only success that we can ever have or that we only ever want when really you should be looking at every opportunity as a part of your journey that's going to get you to the thing that you didn't even know that you wanted or needed in your life, you know? Yep, absolutely. Now talk to us about this happiness revolution. What does happiness even mean? It's funny because when I launched the podcast a hundred some odd episodes ago, I had no idea that I was going to become this like forerunner on, you know, being a happiness expert. <laughs> I didn't really know that. So I just thought people needed 
more happy and more insight on how to be happy. And that's kind of how I started it. But I always had taken the approach from day one that um, happiness comes from speaking your truth, number one, always. And number two, that it's a constant reset. So there is always someone or something that is trying to steal it from you. And I think we have this notion that like, we can go get happiness and put it in our purse and then continue on with our life. And that's just not how the world works. So it's really about balance from pain and upset to excitement, hope, and happiness. There, you know, it's always kind of this teetering, tottering experience of life and true happiness exists in the center. So it's, it's being able to truly embody, embrace, and enjoy happiness when you have it and know and say, this is the best day. And then it's also knowing how when you're having the worst day to say, this too shall pass. And here's all the tools that I can use to get myself more left leaning on this right sided teeter totter, you know, and, and I really think that it's, it's in the middle. And, uh, and unfortunately, I think we've been taught that happiness is like this ever existing. Once you get it, you always have it and nothing ever upsets you and you're amazing. And, you know, in this glory space, and that's not realistic. I think that happiness comes from a lot of sacrifice too. And nobody talks about that, (laughs) you know, expand on that. Yeah. Nobody's talking about the fact that, uh, to experience happiness, you had to make a lot of choices that were probably unhappy or that didn't bring you happiness. And um, so I think that this is something that we should be talking about more so that people don't look at other people, especially in the social media world and go, wow, look, look at all this happiness that they have in their life. You know, you follow someone that, you know, seems to have life all figured out and they're frolicking on beaches in Hawaii and cooking, you know, amazing foods and, you you can look at that and feel like, what am I doing wrong? I just stopped at McDonald's on my way home from work, you know, working 12 hours and I haven't seen my kids all day and, you know, see a post that pops up where some, you know, beautiful skinny moms, you know, you know surfing with her kids on the beach or something. And, and that's not realistic. That mom made sacrifices too, to get where she was in that moment. And I guarantee you that in the car, she probably had a freak out screaming at the kids and there's salt everywhere and, you know, whatever happened that you don't see. And so That's I think true. it's important that we do talk about the sacrifices that we make. And I know for me as a mom right now, a big one that I'm making is homeschooling my son. And I didn't, um, I didn't know when I, t- when I took it on that it was a sacrifice, it actually felt like something that would eventually bring me great happiness. But I think a lot of times we don't always see that end game in the sacrifice or in the, in the thing that we're in that doesn't feel all that great. So, you know, we have our days where we're homeschooling and I really feel the weight of him missing out on being among other kids, or I feel the weight of missing out on being able to easily go do an errand when he was in school. And now it's like, Oh, I, you know, that means I'm not teaching him this and we're spending all this time in the car and all these things that kind of play into it. So I think sacrifice is a part of happiness too. And we really need to consider that more and be having that discussion about that. Um, so I think that it was for me really about finding these things that worked with the schedule that I have, which is fluctuating and always different and always has, you know, different, uh, cancellations or oh last minute bookings or whatever's going on, you know, and kind of figuring out how to 
how to still have my self-care routine amid all of that. And, you know, I'll be honest, uh, admit, uh, amidst all of that. And there are times where, you know, last Friday night is a perfect example. I was just bummed out. You know, I was just sad. I felt the weight of everything. Um, I, I also felt myself getting a little bit more um, kind of snippy with people. Um, and in my outward expression, and I said, okay, you know what? I really need to check this stuff. I, I need to check what I'm feeling right now. I need to honor it and take time for it and sit, sit with it and experience it and figure out what is underneath. And, uh, and I need to figure out how to move through it and past it. And I'll tell you what, when I did, I felt so much more empowered by the fact that I was able to be in that and move through that, you know? Right. Exactly. You know, it's funny you say that because it makes me think of the journal, right? I mean, that's a great way to figure out what's going on with you and to sit and take that time. Yes. Yes. So jump in. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah. Empowered is really cool. Um, And here's why it's really cool. You know, I have personally a lot of different journals. I have a smut journal where I tell everybody in my life, if I mysteriously die, burn that thing because you're (laughs) guilty of something. Um, You know, I have a gratitude journal, which is like a quick five five minute morning check-in, evening reflection kind of thing. I have a regular journal um, for calendaring all of my appointments and all that. And then I have a happy journal. That's me, right? But I've been journaling since I was in the third grade. And I really wanted to take, and I don't use all of those tools every day by any means. I will go through a whole two-week period where I am on the gratitude kick every morning. I am doing my five-minute gratitude you know, for the day and all of that. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't need that right now. Right now I need to vent. And I go to my smut journal or whatever. So I wanted to create a space for women that guided them a little bit through all of these different kinds of tools that they could incorporate into their journaling process. And I also wanted it to be something that they could really um, explore more of their inner truth if they wanted to. And so there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of childhood work. There's a lot of dream type manifestation work in there. You know, it's, it's really all encompassing and it flows so nicely. And if you started it in 90 days, I would say you could achieve or accomplish, um, any intention that you set out to do, which is pretty cool. In the book, it talks about creative freedom, your own space and inspiring words. Tell us about these different areas of the journal. So it's interesting because when I first started, um, you know, really using journaling with my psychotherapy clients, I would always tell them before you do anything, I want you to go find a bunch of quotes and I want you to fill the pages of your journal with quotes. Because I really believed that when you got to that page, if you had no inspiration whatsoever to do anything, at least you would get something from that quote. And there was usually something that would come from that, just that. So that was always kind of uh, the number one way that I started to teach people how to journal. And I'm actually going to be offering an intro to journaling workshop this year. One of the things that got put on hold last year and kind of into the beginning uh, with the homeschool stuff. So, um, and, and so with Empowered, it was important that that be in there, that those quotes be in there. And if I were to do Empowered again, I might even have them start page one, journal entry one, is to go put their own quotes in. But the way that it worked out with the publisher, I found the quotes. So, <laughs> uh, but it was still, it was, it's still beautiful and really great. And when I say safe space, what I mean is 
this ties into your inner truth. A lot of times we're not speaking our truth because of what other people will think or because we what we think other people expect us to be doing in our life or how they expect us to be living our life um, or fear of what if we said would hurt the other people in our life. So we often uh, censor ourselves in this way. And so the journal you don't have to censor yourself. That's a really beautiful thing is you can kind of let all that stuff come up and then explore why it's there and what it means and how you could be using it to better your life or letting go of it because it's holding you back. So um, that's what I mean by safe space. It just kind of gives you that little area for exploration. Oh, I like that. What are some of the quotes that you chose? Oh, man, there were so many good ones. I mean, I just initially went right to some people that I, you know, really gravitate towards in general. Um, so, I mean, Princess Di was definitely one that I I grew up. I have a 100% British grandma. So I grew up with the royals and, and that Princess Di was one that I always really thought was just a classy lady. So, there's some from her in there, but then there's some from, you know, you've got Lady Gaga in there and, and all sorts of stuff, Audrey Hepburn, all sorts of really fun quotes, something to appeal to everybody, Michelle Obama. Um, yeah, just a, a lot of different women. In, in all of the workshops that I do, um, and more of them have been online, but uh, lots still in person, um, we always have a creative element of some type that gets you out of your logical, rational, judging brain and into your more free, subconscious uh, play brain. And what's really cool about that is a lot of times our subconscious is capable of doing far more work than our cognitive mind will allow because of that censorship that we do. So, uh, it, you know, for me, it's really important to have texture involved and touch and smell and experience and playing with color and all sorts of stuff. So these activities are everything from star dreaming, I call it, uh, to, you know, just sitting out in nature to working with markers or colored pencils. Um, you know, we explore your identity of self by tracing your hand, things like that. So really fun art activities that I um, have just kind of created and morphed over the years. Um, in some ways, I've seen someone else do kind of a version of something and gone, you know what I think we could do with that is this or that. I'm doing a really fun spring equinox workshop where, and people don't know it yet, it's kind of a secret, but they, it won't matter. Um, we're doing a, it's, it's on themed on blossoming. And I'm literally bringing in bags of dirt and pots and they're going to plant their seed in their dirt and they're going to watch it grow. So, you know, I really embrace that kind of stuff. I think that analogies are a great way to kind of conceptualize what's going on in your life. Oh, I think so too. I love that idea with the planting. That is really nice. I, now in the journal, do you, when you get into the childhood stuff, you were saying, do you have questions that you ask yeah. to get people? Okay. What are some, what are some of the types of questions? Well, a lot of times we just kind of reflect back on different um, experiences that you had as a kid or who you wanted to be as a kid and things like that. And I will say there are definitely going to be activities. And I kind of talk about this in the introduction to the book where, you know, you're not going to feel all that comfortable. Um, as we're stepping outside of our comfort zones a little bit and um, starting to kind of explore 
why we haven't been doing the things that we want to do or we know we need to do in our life. So there are definite uh, times when you're going through the journal where you're going to have yuck come up. I call it muddy um, when things get kind of muddy and murky and you're just not like, Bleh, you know, you're not really sure. Um, but that's some of the best change comes from that space of uncomfortability. Like some of the most powerful Definitely. things that you do come from, nah, you know what? I don't really like this about myself or I don't really like this about my life. Yeah. You know, call, I love that it's empowered women. So what about journaling do you think empowers women? I think the truth of the matter is anytime we're stepping outside of a victim mentality and taking control of our life in some way, we're going to feel empowered. Um, and, and that's what I even described with that feeling of sadness and depression. And I could have sat in that and been, oh, woe is me. I could have reached for a glass of wine or whatever, but I chose to do something that was going to change my trajectory that day. And many things, I chose many things, not even just one. Yeah, what were the things I meant to ask earlier when you brought that up, but I wanted to, cause I thought, oh my God, did she journal? Yeah. So, um, so first thing I did was I did what's called a four minute hit workout. It's uh, by Dr. Zach Bush. It's really great. It requires nothing. You can literally do it anywhere. Um, my husband calls it my air exercises. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, good job, babe. Nice air work. There you go. <laughs> but um, to just kind of get my um, nervous system and my adrenaline and everything pumping, because a lot of times what happens, especially when we're anxious, is that we have excess energy that our body doesn't know what to do with. So you've often heard people say, do jumping jacks before taking a test. That's realign what's happening in your emotional body which, with what's happening in your physical body. So for me, getting up and moving my body, physically moving my body gave my brain a connection to the emotion. Like, okay, now we're, you know, your heart was kind of not feeling good. And now we're making the heart work in a way that it aligns better. And also you start to release oxytocin. So the good hormones, all the, all the feel good stuff. Um, so I did that first. Number one, I said, you know, I'm not going to lay on my bed and feel sad for myself Friday night about these things that are weighing me down. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to do this. So I did that. And then I went and sat out in the sauna with some Native American flute music on and really just send out on that, the sound of the flutes and the way that it felt on my ears and just kind of did some breath work. Um, then I came in and I laid with my son for a little bit. I said, will you lay with him? And I just laid with him and I hugged him. And I thought, this is what's so important in my life right now. This is what's so important. And then I drew an Oracle card, which I love, which is called the, uh, the deck that I really love for like a daily, I have probably seven or eight Oracle card decks, but the one that I love is called the universe, uh, has your back. And I grabbed it and it was like, yep, that was the exact card that I needed for today to kind of affirm, you know, what I've got going on. And then I told myself, okay, now you're feeling a little bit better. You're not going to allow yourself to stew on this any longer tonight and just see what tomorrow brings. And then tomorrow, the next day I went flying for the first time in a tailwheel plane and was in some, wow. <laughs> yeah. So oh my gosh, actually working on my pilot's license, which is how exciting. Yeah. Very empowering. Talk about empowering. Cool. Um, but what's cool is my son is actually doing ground school too. So, he, yeah, so it was one of those things where when you're talking about homeschooling earlier, where, you know, we were taking a look at this opportunity as an opportunity rather than as a, Oh God, we have to get all these things done. And uh, 
childhood. It was like, no, what does he love? He loves flying. He wants to be an aerobatic pilot. He plans to get his license at 16. So it was a really great opportunity. And how it kind of came up is I said, man, I'm having a tough time understanding thrust and yaw and how this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, mom, okay, pretend your steering wheel is the yoke. And he starts teaching me all of this. And I go, what? Is it crazy? You know, and I was like, do you want to do your ground school? And he's like, yes. And so now he's learning about math and science and aeronautics and history and all of this stuff. And it's like, and he's so in it. I used to have to plead with him to do his common core math. Now he's doing altimeter readings and stuff. No problem doing the math all of that. And he, and because he's excited about it and we would have never had this opportunity if, you know, we didn't, if, if I didn't see uh step back and say, what's, what's happening here in the way of what our inner truths are, what our inner desires are. And yes, we have to do our learning, but this is important too, you know? So absolutely. Uh, yeah. So it's really cool. And I think that uh, it's exciting. It's empowering him. Um, in ways that I've never seen him care about math before, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, and it's certainly empowering me because we're learning together. So it's been a good thing. Um, but, but when we move through um, our victim mentality and take a stance of control in our life, we start to live more empowered. And I think that's what journaling can do. It, it, it really is you taking control of your life, your emotions, your thoughts, your experiences and saying, I'm going to process these in a way that serves me. Do you ever think it's okay to stew in your own sadness? I think it's super important that you feel what you feel. That's part of that balance, right? So, you know, that we talked about it earlier on the kind of teeter-totter spectrum and finding that middle. And you really can't do that unless you sit with the grief or sit with the loss or sit with the uncomfort, um, sit with the anger, sit with the sadness, sit, sit with what, whatever it is. That's how we really figure out what our, what we mean, what our vulnerable wound is, you know? So yeah, I never, I'm not a buck up kind of person. But I will say, I know, you know, um, it's interesting because, and this is real kind of sensitive, but the Texas mayor that recently resigned over the, uh, the power outages, he, he tweeted something that was considered highly insensitive. He said, you know, people need to stop feeling entitled and sink or swim. And among other things, and I'm not saying I'm advocating for what he said or that it was wrong of, wrong or right. I'm not attaching to that. But what I am saying is there is some truth in the message that we need to advocate for ourselves. And I think we've gotten really far away from advocating for ourselves. And we expect other people to solve our problems. We expect other people to come to our rescue. And if there's one thing that I learned in my upbringing, it's nobody is going to save you but you. You know, and so I think that there is something important to be taken from these kinds of messages. And while they might have been crass and insensitive and not done respectfully, that's different. I'm not not saying for that. But I do think that there is something that we've been missing in our overabundance of self-help industry. You know, there is an antidote. The antidote is own your stuff own your stuff, you know, and, and work through that and, and, and figure it out. <laughs> so I think that's important. And that's kind of coming back to that sacrifice a little bit too, is like, you know, it, it's not all going to be rainbows and butterflies. 
Exactly. Well, tell us a little bit about your podcast. What kind of guests do you have on? What kind of topics do you cover? Yeah, it's so fun. I learned so much from from the guests that we've had. We've had Olympians, um, various different celebrities, uh, you know, so many cool people that are doing great things in their life, very inspirational, all generally in the self, self-help arena. Anything, Michaela, that you wanted to add today other than how to find you, which we'll do at the end that we didn't touch on about your fantastic journal? You know, I don't think so. It's just really nice to spend this time with you and get to visit and chat about things that I love to chat about. So tell us all the ways we can find you and your awesome work. Yeah, so you can go to beyoufindhappy.com, B-E-Y-O-U, findhappy.com. And I'm on various different social medias uh, for the most part, although I am doing a total social media detox right now because I'm getting my pilot's license. And every hour that I could be, you know, doing this, I could also learning about, you know, lift and yawn, roll and pitch and all sorts of That is so cool. So um, the best way to find me is definitely my website. And I certainly encourage people to subscribe to the podcast for all sorts of really cool inspiration. All right. So that's the end of our show today. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks for listening as always. And you know what we would really love? We would love for you to give us a review because Lisa, as you know, when we are, when you give us a review and you've got value out of the show today or our podcast in general, as we approach our 1000th episode, gosh, so exciting. 1000 podcasts, Lisa, you and me. It's unbelievable. Eight years. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Thousand podcasts. So we'd love you to give us a review, please, because what we're finding out is when you give us a, re- a positive review or a v- review in general, and you give us a five star rating, only if you feel that we deserve it, it really helps the algorithm and it pushes us up and it recommends our podcast to other people where they tune in for their podcast. So we would so, so, so appreciate that if you don't mind taking a minute to help us. And uh, that's the end of our show today. I'm Andrea Donsky, and I'm also at Naturally Savvy. Lisa? And I'm Lisa Davis. You can find me at Lisa Davis MPH. We'll see you next time.